You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. It's a beautiful morning. It was quite the steamy morning this morning. I'm assuming that means the lake is freezing over, but uh, I couldn't quite see the lake this morning because it was so steamy. But um, I love, Rhea and I absolutely love days like today when there's that steam and, and it causes the frost to form on all the trees. Isn't it just the most beautiful thing? I know something that Rhea and I were talking about the other day was she was just saying, isn't it amazing how good God is that the most simple thing like frost forming on a tree branch, how God made it beautiful and how he didn't have to make it beautiful. He didn't have to make it alluring to our eyes, something that we'd want to look at and enjoy looking at, but he did. That his glory and his goodness and his beauty are reflected in the world around us and we see it every day. And we certainly see it in the season of Christmas and uh, in the season of giving and the season of uh, family and connecting back to our roots. And uh, I'm just going to open up with a quick word of prayer this morning. God, I thank you, Lord, for the Christmas season. God, I pray, Lord, that we would remember you this Christmas. God, that we would return to the things that Christmas is truly about. God, we'd put first that which is most important. And God, everything else will sort itself out. So God, I thank you, Lord, that you are Savior, and you are Lord, and you are King. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would reign in our hearts this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all have different Christmas traditions that we've grown up with. And I did not grow up in the church. And so we had, in our family, many Christmas traditions. um, But none of them involved Christ, or Jesus, or the church. And uh, Rhea was born and raised in the church, so she had that element in her family. I didn't. And it's an interesting and fun thing to do is when you have two people come together making a family, now starting some family traditions of our own. And there's certain elements that we've both received from our, our families that we brought to the table. And then there's new things that we're discovering and forming every year as we go along. And uh, we've been married seven years now. We have a three-year-old and uh, 18-month-old. And uh, so we're learning what traditions are going to work and stick and, and fit into our family dynamic. And it's kind of fun that we get to make some decisions right now about what we're going to be doing, what's going to be a tradition in our home. And, um, you know, when I was growing up, Christmas was very much about gifts. My mother is somebody who shows her love for people by gift giving. And I remember it would stress her out when somebody unexpected would show up to the house with a gift because she was somebody that had to reciprocate that gift. So she'd be like, you know, just wait here. And she'd be scurrying through the house, trying to wrap something, trying to find something that she could give back to the person that just gave her a gift. And it would just stress her out. But my mom loved giving gifts. And she found so much joy on Christmas morning, watching us as kids open up our presents and seeing the joy that it brought to us. And... Um, even though it was kind of funny because there, I don't know if you have this in your family where mom and dad try to create a balance of gifts so that most of the, so it seems as though the kids are all receiving the same amount of gifts. 
Well, my mom had this really strange thing that if somebody wanted something really expensive and someone else didn't, she would go to like the dollar store and get the exact equal amount of gifts for each child, even if it was just like a chocolate bar wrapped up in a box, so that each kid had the same opportunity to open the same number of presents on Christmas morning. Like she went pretty intense with it, but it made it a lot of fun for us as kids, and we loved it. You know, Christmas was always a time of family. It was a time where we connected to our extended family, and relationships were always a very, very important part of Christmas. And even though we were not Christians, there was definitely an emphasis on charity and giving back to our community. And so something that my parents always gave to was the Salvation Army. It was something that we always was a regular thing. The city of Calgary does turkey drives and things like the CBC does a, a charity thing every year for food bank. And we'd go to the mall and we'd take Christmas presents and, and donate them into kind of the, I can't remember what it was called now, but basically the mountain of toys that would be given to, to kids that might not have a toy on Christmas morning. And so there are things involving that that were always part of, our, of my childhood growing up around Christmas. But Christ, unfortunately, was always left out. You know, at the age of 14, I encountered God for the first time, and that was the first year at Christmas that Christmas took a different, a different focus for me. That, that was the first year that I decided I wanted to go to church on Christmas. And I went to a church called Mid Park Christian Assembly in South Calgary, and uh, I went with a couple friends, and, and my mom actually did come with me, I think a little bit reluctantly. But uh, she did come, and whenever I'm back in Calgary, my mom usually will come to Christmas Eve service with me, even though she never goes to, to church any other time of the year. But instantly, Christmas had a new significance for me. And for me, it's always been the most wonderful time of the year. But I know for most, and a lot of people, Christmas is not always the best, most wonderful time of the year. For many people, it's a stressful time of year. It's where there's more to buy than there's money left in the bank. It's a time where of busyness, where we're running, scurrying around, trying to get everything done, making the baking, getting the gifts, attending the Christmas company Christmas party. And sometimes it becomes a time and a season of the year that creates anxiety and stress in our life rather than a time of peace, rather than a time of joy. You know, our culture has unfortunately decided to esteem busyness as a value. I don't know if you've ever been caught up in the busyness trap where, you know, it's almost like someone says, hey, how you doing? Are you busy? And you say, oh yeah, I'm busy. Important people are busy. You know, it's almost like if you're not busy, well, you're not important. You're not doing anything worthwhile. And I know I went through this whole year process when I was home with Sophia where I essentially had a full 12 months where I was not busy. And people come up to me and say, hey, are you busy? And I'd be like, no. People would be like, not sure how to respond because they weren't expecting that. They were expecting me to say, oh, yeah, I'm just swamped. I'm just running off my feet. And literally, I wasn't. But it gave me a new perspective that... Okay, busyness. What is business all about? And is it necessary? I think, you know, one of the things that is for me has always been kind of a picture in my mind of the Christmas season is the bustling mall. I don't know if you've ever been to a mall in a big city the weekend before Christmas when all of the men are in there grabbing their last minute gifts. It's chaos. And, um, that picture of the busy, bustling mall to me is always something that has been stuck in my mind since I was a kid. 
The interesting thing is that we don't need to be held captive to cultural adaptations of this season. But we as Christians, we need to choose whatever makes it the most impactful and significant for you and your family as we celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. That we are not slaves to Christmas, but we get to determine as, our, as each family unit how we choose to celebrate it, what we choose to elevate as important. And know that we do not have to conform to the cultural adaptations of what this season's all about. You know, for almost 2,000 years, the Christian church has celebrated Advent leading up to Christmas. And the word Advent, as is written up there, um, Adventus Domini, it means the coming or the arrival of the Lord. And uh, it's a significant thing historically throughout the church. It's, you see it a lot more in liturgical churches and more traditional churches. And uh, what's interesting about it is that it refers not just to the historical birth of Christ, but his coming into our lives in the present, in the now, and the coming of Jesus later, at the end of the age. Traditionally, the church from as early as the 8th century, which is a very, very long time, um, has spent the four weeks leading into Christmas as a season that they call Advent, and it's a season of preparation. And uh, many of the traditions that um, the Christian church has held over this time have been reciting scripture, lighting candles, remembering that Jesus is, in fact, the light of the world. And uh, they do this often on the Sundays. Each Sunday, light a candle in the four weeks leading up to Christmas. What I love about Advent is that it's placed between two comings. When he came in great humility at the first Christmas and when he's going to come again in glorious majesty. And this is the place in time where we find ourselves today. We're caught in between the two comings. Jesus coming as a babe and him coming as reigning king in all authority, coming to, to reign on the earth. Advent, for me this year, has been aligning. Alignment is, is a word that's on my heart for this next season, and it's about aligning my heart and my mind to the importance of the birth of our Savior and the coming of a returning king. As I mentioned last week, uh, Advent is, is to Christmas what Lent is intended to be for Easter. And it's a time when we reflect and contemplate on God's goodness in our life, as we sung about this morning. And it's about how he came to us as, in, stack, in fact, still with us today, as we saw in the beautiful performance that he comes and he's with us now in, in the Holy Spirit. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. And that is why we can call our God Emmanuel, Jesus Emmanuel, the God who is with us. You know, Advent is not like Lent in that it's about abstaining from food and good things in order to depend on God more deeply. But it's more about abstaining from the distractions of the season, the things that take us away from the true meaning of Christmas. As when we acknowledge um, that once upon a time we walked in darkness and that we have now seen a marvelous light, as it says in Isaiah 9-2, there was a time when we all walked in darkness. There was a time where, you know, we were born separated from God, spiritually speaking. 
And I don't know about you, but you know when lights are initially turned off, it's really hard to see. But after a certain amount of time, your eyes begin to adjust, and all of a sudden, the night becomes to look normal. Well, imagine if you were born in darkness, and darkness was all you knew, and your eyes had become adjusted to the darkness, and that just was normal. Darkness was normal. Well, we were all born into it, and for many of us, including myself, I didn't realize I was in it before I'd met Jesus. I stumbled around in the darkness, but I didn't recognize it as darkness because it was all I knew. But there's a difference between darkness and light, isn't there? A stark difference. And we do not, are not intended to be stuck perceiving the world and interacting with it within the dark. But we are meant to exist separated from that darkness and filled with the light of the world who is Jesus Christ. Advent. Um, you know, it's something that I wasn't sure I was going to even share on today. But God's really just been pressing on my heart to share what some a little bit of what um, our family has been exploring with Advent this year. And some of the meaning and significance that we've been finding in this ancient tradition that um, we're kind of making new. It's new for me because I've never walked through an Advent tradition um, before. As I said, Advent is preparing our hearts and contemplating and reflecting on the brilliance of the light of the world who is Jesus, who leads us and directs our lives as Christians. And as the Bible says in Ephesians 5.8, for we were formerly in darkness, but now you are in light. Light in the Lord, walk as children of light. We are meant to be children of light because we've been transformed. We have a new nature. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. This here, this is a little stand that uh, my wife made for Christmas this year. And in ours, we have four candles. And here on the end, we made these little felt Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. And a little kind of funny story about baby Jesus. Sophia loves this baby Jesus, and she's been playing with this baby Jesus for a month. And um, she has this little Playmobil nativity set and it has like baby Jesus and stuff in there. But she would take these little things and she'd go and put them in there. And the other day she went and picked up, put all of her nativity set is on a little tray and she put Joseph and Mary and Jesus on this tray and carried it into our pantry. And a couple of minutes later, I'm hearing a noise and looking around. I don't see my kids anywhere. I realize they're in the pantry. I go, I open the door and Sophia's playing with all the the toys on the floor, and Everett is holding a box of baking soda and dumping it all over the nativity set, all over baby Jesus here. And uh, I'm just like, oh my goodness. So anyway, I don't know what he's doing trying to make winter on the nativity set. I'm not sure. But I kick them out of the thing, and I go and grab the vacuum, and and I'm cleaning up all the baking soda, and baby Jesus gets sucked up the hose. And Sophia is so upset. She's just living. She's just like, you killed baby Jesus. And I'm like, I did not kill baby Jesus. God has a plan for Jesus. And he's going to be around for 33 more years. It's okay. It's okay. This is nothing. This is nothing. Jesus can handle it. And so we had to take apart the vacuum. And I had to cut open the bag and take out what I thought was Jesus. But I don't know if you've ever done that. Pulled apart what's inside the vacuum. 
I don't know why, but nothing is recognizable anymore once it's been sucked into a vacuum. It's like it changes form and morphs and mutates into something horribly disgusting. And so I, I did find baby Jesus when I was able to take him out. He was no longer white. He was dust bunny colored. I think you all know what color that is. And um, we cleaned him up a little bit, but uh, now he looks more like he actually is in a stable, which is wonderful. But this for us is the significance of baby Jesus. Often in a traditional, in a traditional Advent wreath, you would have a white candle that signifies Jesus. And for us, and you'd light that on Christmas, and, and for us, we chose not to have that fifth candle, but instead to have baby Jesus swaddled at the feet of Mary and Joseph to signify that. But um, the first candle here, um, something else I want to mention is in, in a traditional wreath, I guess, the three of the candles are usually purple. One is often pink, and then the white candle signifies Jesus. And to the first candle which is purple, is known as the prophesy candle or the hope candle. And the idea is that we have hope because God keeps his promises that he makes to us, to man, and our hope comes from God alone. Romans 15, 12 to 13 says, um, and actually it's quoting the book of Isaiah, and it says this, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope, and in verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so for us and our family this year, the first Advent candle is his representative of hope. And um, traditionally, you'd light it on that Sunday. I'm going to light it for you this morning. The second candle which would traditionally also be purple, um, is known as the Bethlehem candle or the candle of preparation. And God kept his promise of a savior who would come and be born in Bethlehem. And in Luke 3, 4 to 6, which is also quoting the book of Isaiah, this is a scripture here um, concerning John the Baptist. It says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the, row, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Micah 2 here predicts something significant about Bethlehem. Uh, it says, But to you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. Micah 2 here makes a couple predictions that are significant. One is the birthplace of the coming Savior, this ruler of Israel who would come from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And what's, why the second word is important is at the time that Micah was written, there were two Bethlehems. And um, the fact that it says Bethlehem Ephrathah is signifying that um, this Bethlehem would be in Judah, the portion of Israel in which tells the capital of, of, of Israel, which is Jerusalem, which um, just officially now has been recognized recently by the United States as the capital, once again, of Israel, a very, very, very significant event. 
you could say biblically speaking. Um, and so Bethlehem was considered little. It was considered insignificant among the cities of Judah, yet it became the birthplace of the future ruler. And what's interesting about that is that if God would choose the most insignificant place to place the, next, the true ruler of Judah, then it's likely that the people themselves might miss, might miss the ruler himself. And uh, as we know, that did happen. Many missed who Jesus was. They didn't understand who he was. And they ended up taking him to the cross and crucifying him at the hands of the Romans. But, um, so this candle represents that. But second, the coming ruler of Jewish, was of Jewish background was one who's coming forth from old, from ancient days. And um, what's interesting was that um, this word ancient days means that the original ruler was to regain reign over Israel. And so the word ancient days is sometimes synonymous with the word eternal in Scripture. And for us, um, that's what this candle can represent, is, is this the second prophecy being fulfilled that the king of ancient days, Jesus, would come back and reign, and he would come from Bethlehem. Um, for us this year as well, I want this candle to signify peace. Isaiah 9.6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but when he reigns in our hearts, he is peace. The peace that we have comes from him, not from just circumstances. It's interesting that when you have God in your life, circumstances become irrelevant when it comes to the peace that you can have in your heart. Did you know that? You could be riding a donkey down the edge of the Grand Canyon, which people do, by the way. When I was there when I was 16, they have these little paths that go along the edge of the Grand Canyon, and people pay money to go on this little path that's like a foot wide, and they have these mules that like edge their way down the Grand Canyon. All the way you're thinking, if that animal just stumbles just once, the person's tumbling down into the Grand Canyon, they're done. But um, I lost my train of thought there now. But he is the Prince of Peace. That's where I was going. And that regardless of our life circumstances, when the Prince of Peace reigns in our heart, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be anxious. In fact, the Bible says be anxious of nothing because it does nothing to benefit us to be anxious. But what does benefit us is to be wise. What does benefit us is to rest in God and depend on him and be led by him. And when we're filled with his spirit, and when we're led by his spirit, we can have peace because we know we're operating in God's will. But the second that we step out of that, decide to make our own path outside of God's plan for us, there's not going to be peace. 
my prayer is that we wouldn't have peace, that, that the peace would come when we step back into God's will so we know we're walking the right path. And God, I think, sometimes will intentionally make things difficult when we step outside of his will. And he doesn't even have to because that's what happens with sin. It's, it's unfortunately, it has consequences. When we step outside of God's will and his perfect plan for us, it's always a hard road. And we're not likely going to have peace about it. And so as long as we stay connected and abide in him, we will have peace. And he is our peace. The third candle, which is often represented by a pink candle, for us, for our family one, we've decided to make it them all white. But I'd like to read a Luke 2, 1 to 15. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a dec- decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, with the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph, who went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judah, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Here again is, a, is another prophecy that the Savior, the Messiah, was to come through the lineage of David. A very significant thing. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was also expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, a son in whom she wrapped in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. And there, as we saw acted out beautifully this morning, were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, Watch and keep over their flocks. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone upon them and around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God the highest in highest heaven, and on earth peace to those in whom his favor rests. This third candle, the shepherd's candle, is also known as the candle of joy. And we can have joy because our Savior was born. The fourth candle, which traditionally would also be a purple candle, is known as the angel or the light candle and is often signified as the candle of love. The angels announced the good news of a Savior and God sent his Son to earth to save us because of his great love for us. Probably, no scripture says it as well as John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Lastly, the fifth candle, traditionally, I'm included in the Advent wreath, which we do not have here, 
is normally white and reminds us that Jesus was the spotless lamb of God sent to wash away our sins and his birth was for his or his birth was for his death and his death was for our birth is traditionally what would be said you know what's interesting about um, thinking about his birth and his death is uh, this is kind of completely Inter, like disconnected from, from the Bible, but I was recently watching a documentary that was talking about um, the pharaohs and the kings of Egypt that were buried in the Valley of the Kings. And they had an Egyptologist that was a specialist on the mummification process and how they would mummify their dead kings. And what was really interesting was she went through the process of taking a lamb and she mummified it using the pro- traditional process that they believe the Egyptians used. And they had the embalming spices that the alum and the things that they used to dry out the body. And then after, after the body had been dried and left for so number of days, they'd wrap it in cloth. And the three things that were required for a king's burial was a mixture that they would coat over the linens of frankincense and myrrh. And always the body would be encased in a gold sarcophagus. And they related nothing about this to Jesus, but this Egyptologist was just saying that these were the three things they always see at every burial of every site that they found a sarcophagus is the body is covered in a mixture of frankincense and myrrh and encased in gold. The three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus at his birth were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It makes me wonder if these kings, these wise men, knew something at that time about what Jesus was going to undo, that he, that he brought this poor king, death spices, and everything he needed for a king's burial. Very interesting. Um, I've never read anything on it. I was talking to Rebecca, actually, this week about it. I've never read anything on that, but I just found it very interesting that that is traditionally how you bury a king. And those were the gifts that were given to the king shortly after his birth. John one twenty nine says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what this candle represents. Jesus who takes away our sin and makes us right before God. There's a story, which I'm going to light this last candle before I tell the story, that my wife found and she read to me uh, earlier this week that I wanted to share with you. We have hope because of Jesus in this Christmas season. And there are so many around us who do not have hope, who are hopeless in this season for many reasons. But because of Jesus, because we know that we have a Savior, that we've been saved, that the reigning King is coming again, we have hope for our life after this life, the eternal life that we have. But many don't. And our job is to make sure that as many people know about the good news as possible while we are here. That is one of our main things that God has given us to do is to spread the good news and share the gospel. This is called the story of the four candles. 
Four candles burned slowly. They shone so softly, you could hardly hear them speak. The first candle said, I am peace, but these, day no, these days nobody wants to keep me lit. Then peace's flame slowly diminished and went out completely. The second candle said, I am faith, but these days people believe they no longer need me. Then faith's flame slowly diminished and went out completely. Sadly, the third candle spoke. I am love, and I haven't the strength to stay lit for much longer. People put me aside and don't understand my importance. Sometimes they even forget to love those nearest to them. And waiting no longer, love went out completely. A child entered the room and saw three candles that were no longer burning. The child asked softly, why are you not burning? You're supposed to stay lit forever and ever. Then the fourth candle spoke gently to the little boy and said, don't be afraid, for I am hope. And while I still burn, we can relight the other candles. With, sh with shining eyes, the boy took the candle of hope and lit the other three candles. See, what I love about this is it's just something simple, a little story you can do with young children. Um, everything we do, we have to bring it down to a three-year-old's level, try as much as we can. Um, and so we never let the flame of hope ever, ever, ever go out. With hope in our lives, peace, faith, and love can always shine brightly again. Advent is the reminder that we have hope. Hope in Christ, regardless of our circumstances and where we find ourselves today. The Advent candles remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. And all who follow him do not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As it says in John 8, 12. In him we find joy, peace, and love. And because of our faith in him, we have a great hope. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the reason for the season. And yet culturally, very much, we've lost sight of the meaning of Christmas. And for most Canadian families, they no longer celebrate the importance of the coming of Christ. And many Canadians, including my own family growing up, are increasingly more secular every year. Advent is four intentional weeks of reading scripture, of meditating on the coming of Christ and the reality of God in our lives. And something that I hope there's an aspect of that you'll want to bring to your family tradition if you don't have that already. One of my favorite scriptures, I'm from Psalm 19. Here in one, um, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. What's amazing to me is the goodness of God, even when I did not know him. As the scripture says that the warmth of his light comes, and God's goodness was even found in my life even when I was far from him. God did not deprive me of good things even when I chose to reject him in that, in that time in my life. And I think no matter what we do, I don't think the actual light of the world can ever really be diminished. God is more powerful than darkness. In fact, the Bible says that the darkness can never overcome it or overtake it. And so, you know, as God's goodness touches the earth, we realize that we are alive because of God's goodness and his grace. And the fact that God grants us life in and of itself, man. For since the creation of the world, the Bible says that his invisible attributes are clearly being seen and understood by the things which are made. Even his eternal power in Godhead so that we are without excuse. You know, some men choose to ignore God intentionally. But sometimes... Is as if we lose sight of God, even for us Christians, sometimes. Um, and I don't think it's so much an intentional thing, but it's just the distractions of life come, and they seem to overtake and shadow the light. And we forget to see the reality of God in our lives in the everyday, ordinary moments. I grew up in, in Calgary, it's a pretty big city now. It's grown a lot since in the 12 years that I've been gone. But anybody who was raised in a large city will know this, that when you want to go look at the stars, you don't just go lay on your trampoline in the backyard. You got to go take a little drive out into the country because there's so much what they call light pollution that our lives were so surrounded by artificial light all the time. And it seems as though it's never dark around us. We've been conditioned to this artificial light. And it's not that God's light is not shining through the stars, still the same strength that it always has. It's just that sometimes we're not aware of it. We're distracted by it because of all this artificial light around us. And, um, you know, it's not that it destroys the natural light, but it distorts it and it distracts it from our eye. And I wonder that if there's an outward invisible light pollution where light can be prevented by being seen by other lights, if there's not also a spiritual light pollution in our society in which people can't see the light of the world because of the distractions of our society, distractions of the season that have come up to, to try to crowd out the importance and the significance of this season and the person of Jesus. And this is why the church for over 1,500 years has celebrated Advent in some way, shape, or form. 
because Advent is where we stop and we reflect on the goodness of our God and we slow down and we get centered again on what is most important in our lives. And so this year, my hope for you is that you won't be driven by the cultural expectations of what Christmas should be for you and your family, but that you will pave a way of creating that which is significant and important to you. And making that choice, and the choice not being made for you by the culture around us. For some of us, we may need to establish for the first time or reestablish the importance of Christmas in our lives. And lastly, I just want to close off with this one scripture that I've already shared, which is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are hope. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. God, I thank you that you pray, tell us that you'll never leave us or forsake us. God, I thank you for this most wonderful gift at Christmas, which was yourself, that which we remember and we mark by celebrating Christmas every year. God, I pray, Lord, that we would never forget the meaning of Christmas. And Lord, that you would continue to reign as Lord and King and Savior of our lives. And Lord, that we wouldn't keep you to ourselves, but God, that we would be insistent on sharing you with our friends and our family. Because God, when we have something good, we want to share it. And Lord, you've given us good news to share with those around us that there is always hope. And when you place your hope and your trust in you, God, in the person of Jesus Christ, the peace and joy will follow. So Lord, we thank you this Christmas. God, may it be about you. Protect us this holiday season as we go out with our families and as we travel and uh, as we celebrate and remember Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.